How many of you, I wonder, are aware of the fact that the values of Renaissance Church are on the back of each program every week? You don't have to raise your hands, okay? But they are. They're there, right there. And um, I didn't write them, so I can brag a little bit here, okay? They are great. They really are. It's rare to find something that well, I think, written in in concept as well as uh, writing um, for any church. And, And here's the thing. Because this is very personal. Um, and, and don't forget, the church is people. Or are people. Not sure how you say that. Um, the church is made up of people, okay? Plural. If you're a follower of Christ, wherever you are on that spectrum, you're the church. That's, that's how the Bible refers to it. So when we talk about being healthy or, or core values, this is the, what makes a healthy church, we're also saying this is what makes a healthy person. So you can't check out and say, well, is he just talking about church? I don't really care about it. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about you individually, me individually. What's going to make me healthy, what's going to make you healthy in terms of our lives and so forth is, first of all, this first value, a supernatural foundation. See, what does that mean? Well, let, let me read it to you very quickly here. And it's, it's in the program, as I said, every week. And here's what it says. We believe that life is to be an exciting adventure lived in cooperation with God. Thus, we seek a personal, dynamic, and transformational experience of full devotion to Christ Jesus. Faith, and and, and you can think about this, and you can argue with it, but not too much. Um, There has to be, there needs to be, for a healthy person, there needs to be this element of faith. And if there is not an, an element of the supernatural in your faith, we could argue whether it's really called faith. And I'll explain that in just a moment because I think it's important for us to stop and just think about that. But the supernatural, what do you mean? Let's just unpack it for a moment. God coming to earth as man, as a man named Jesus. God coming to earth as a man named Jesus. That's supernatural. Jesus going to the cross to die for all of mankind's sins, that's supernatural, okay? Christ being raised from the dead the third day after he was crucified, that's supernatural. Fallen, broken human beings able to experience forgiveness for all, <laughs> for all of their crap, sorry, um, all their stuff, that's supernatural, for a fallen person to have the ability to have this ongoing connection with God, that, that is supernatural. It really is. And for, for that ongoing or that, that, yeah, that ongoing connection or, or relationship to involve transformation in your life, taking away things like hate, guilt, malice, envy, ill will, and all their cousins, and there are many. That's supernatural. So that's what I mean, all right? That's what we want to begin with, this whole thing of what do you mean by supernatural? That's supernatural stuff right there. And as I said, and this is the difference, and we need to to think about that. The whole thing when we talk about this whole idea of faith and and, and believing in who Jesus is and what Christ has done and so forth, uh, that's an element of supernatural, and it's it's a... Supernatural foundation. 
Um, there needs to be growth, and certainly growth needs to take place. There's personal growth. Most people would not argue that there needs to be personal growth in an individual's life. We, I, we call it uh, spiritual growth. There needs to be spiritual growth. What's the difference? Sometimes you really can't tell. Sometimes it looks the same. The difference is spiritual growth is much more thorough because it, it's, it's an inward thing, and then it affects the outward. It's not just an outward thing or a behavior that we're trying to, to, to put on here. And, you know, that's one of the things that's really, you probably know this if you come here very much. What's one of the things that really bugs me about church and, and what we, I say we, what, what we Christians, so to speak, or clergy or whomever have done so much, we have so formatted and prescribed this thing called being a follower of Christ. So many times I'll ask folks, are you a, are you a follower of Christ? Are you a Christian? Are you a believer in who Jesus is? And, and usually people will say, well, yeah, you know, they think, you know, it's either that or a communist. So I'm not a communist. Uh, uh, although, well, anyway, um, we won't go there, will we? Um, but, but so many times people do that and I'll say, well, why are you a believer? Why are you a Christian? Well, 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 I do good things. And, and listen, and maybe they don't mean it that way, maybe they do, but I want to make sure you understand that's not why you're a believer. You're a believer because you follow, you, you trust in Christ. Good things, hopefully, that you do will be the result of that. I'll come back to that in a second. All right? Let me give you a quote from a Canadian uh, missionary lady. Pretty cool. Isabel Kuhn is her name. To find that he is, is the mere starting point of our search. We are lured on to explore what he is, and that search is never finished. And it grows more thrilling the farther one proceeds. Find who he is in terms of, of Christ and, and what he can do and, and what, does, what Christ does in life. Now, let me just stop here for a moment and, because I want to tell you why the whole supernatural foundation thing is so important to the whole deal. Faith in Christ cannot always be perfectly explained. You need to understand this now. Faith in Christ cannot always be perfectly explained. It cannot always be easily reasoned out or even empirically proven. That's why it's called faith. You know? That's why it's called faith. And that's also why doubts, for some, may never totally be eliminated. And I want to give us just a little, a little bit of face time just for a moment because so many times you, you, you know, you're told, and I don't know who started this lie, but so many times you're told in church that if you have doubts, something, or even a few doubts here and there, maybe, maybe at different times of your life, different seasons of your life, many of us have had different kinds of doubts. And, and they somehow people somehow have gotten the impression, well, I'm not a very good Christian because I have doubts. And listen, that's just not true. It means you're a, you're a thinking person, and God never asks any of us to check our brain at the door. And, and, and there are different times in our lives when some of us, not all, but some of us will have uh, more doubts about certain things or questions than, than other times. For some of you, that's not an issue. God bless you. For some, it is. God bless, God bless us too. Francis Collins, writer of A Language of God, great book, uh, said this, Doubt is an unavoidable part of belief. He's a scientist. He did the Human Genome Project and a very devout follower of Christ. And doubt is an unavoidable part of belief. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, said this, All the persons of faith that I know are sinners, doubters, 
uneven performers. We are secure, not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. So I just want to just touch that just briefly. That's not what the message is about, but I want to just touch that. Whenever we talk about faith and a supernatural foundation, I think if we're, if we're going to be intellectually honest, we need to at least address this whole thing. That, that doesn't mean there aren't doubts from time to time, questions from time to time. And, um, you know, you can still be a devoted follower of who Jesus is and what he can do in an individual's life and still have some questions that you haven't been able to get resolved. And what do you just think about that? Who are you and who am I to think that we can have all the answers about an, about an all-powerful, all-knowing God, that we can have all those answers and have that all figured out? And what Chrysostom said, the, uh, the comprehensible God is no God at all. So that's just an important issue uh, that we need to stop and think about there. Now I want to get to the Bible and show you what, uh, what this, this whole thing is about. Here's the issue. If there's an element of supernatural or a supernatural foundation element in my faith um, and in my life and in the core value of who I am, we need to stop and we need to just think through that for a moment. I want to take you to a passage in the Bible where it is described. This person's this person's faith journey is described in a very clear way. His name is Saul of Tarsus. His name later is changed to the Apostle Paul. And uh, he's writing here, and in, in, in this is a narration. Of, actually, he didn't write this. Luke, we believe, wrote this after being an eyewitness to most of these things. Um, the Apostle Paul is or king. At this point, he's, he's, Saul of Tar- he's Saul of Tarsus, not king, but just a Pharisee guy, just a religious guy, very devoted to his Jewish faith. And uh, he gets ended up getting, it's a, it's a long story, and I won't go into it right now, but he gets arrested for something he didn't do, causing some commotion in the temple. He ends up having to go uh, kind of through the whole Roman trial system. And at the point that we're going to pick up the narrative, he's talking to King Agrippa, who was a Roman king, but he understood the Jewish uh, customs and the Jewish laws and so forth. So, so at this point in time, the Apostle Paul is talking about how he came to faith, the supernatural foundational element in his life. And it's pretty dramatic. I just want you to know that's pretty dramatic. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. But uh, let me just pick it up in chapter 26 of Acts, verse 12. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus. That's a mission where he persecuted and killed Christians. I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with authority and commission of leading priest, of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against me. Here he is on this road, this road to Damascus, okay, from, um, from Jerusalem, and, and he's out about... He's basically, I mean, this, we could kind of put it this way, and I'm not making light at all. I mean, he's, he's more or less a terrorist to people who are people of, people of faith in Christ. And he thinks he's carrying out the Jewish mission and killing these people who are, if not killing them, uh, torturing them, and so forth, people who, have, who are um, basically a Jewish background who have left Judaism to be followers of Christ. So he thinks he's sort of purging the faith, as it were. And that's what he's doing. He, in his mind, he's very, very sincere. Sincerely wrong, but, but sincere. So there you go. Um, and so he's on this road, and this, this bright light shines, knocks him off his horse. And then God starts talking to him. Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? 
Now watch verse 15. Who are you, Lord? I ask. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet. For I've appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Now, just put yourself in this guy's place. Here he's been on this mission of, of, of persecuting people who are people of faith in Christ. All of a sudden, he's struck off his horse, blinded. He hears a voice. He can't see anything. You know, it's like having a whole bunch of those lights right there in your face, kind of like what I go through every Sunday morning. Not really. It's a lot worse than that. And, and, and he can't see anything, and they're just boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden, this voice says, oh, I'm going to do something in your life, and then you're going to go basically to the people that you have been terrorizing, and you're going to tell them about Jesus and the love of Christ. No, what do you think is going on in his mind right now? Oh, crap, I'm in trouble. I mean, he, he's got to be thinking, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? By the way, this is called, obviously, a Damascus Road, a, a Damascus Road conversion. Now, we kind of use that now in many, many situations. Maybe you haven't heard, but in some situations you'll hear people talking and they'll say, uh, in Christian circles mainly, oh, I had a Damascus Road-like conversion. And what they basically mean is they had some dramatic thing happen. I mean, I have a friend like that. Death Row. He was on Death Row. I don't need it. It's okay. On Death Row in, in uh, Georgia State Prison. Came to Christ. Amazing story. <laughs> To top, to top that story off, he ended up getting pardoned after that. Can you imagine? I don't recommend you go to Georgia State death row, but I mean, amazing story. A lot of friends like that that have had that. Many of us don't know that. Many of us were raised in Christian homes and in church, you know, before we could talk and had Christian parents who wanted us to learn about the faith and somewhere around, in my case, eight years old, I think, somewhere, about, I don't, you know, I it's hard for me to remember eight years old, but um, somewhere in there, I think I thought, you know what, I want to really give my life to Christ. And then, you know, I became a teenager, and you know what happens. Some you kind of, you know, when you get to be teenage years, you know, we have any teenagers here? Not very many. You just kind of go brain dead somewhere, and around 13 or 14, just they shut down, you know? And, you know, somewhere around 19 or 20 or 25, or for guys, 30 or 40. Um, <laughs> You know, you start beginning to think again and so forth. But somewhere late in my teens, I began to realize, you know, my life's screwy and, you know, I, you know I'm living for... Never mind. And uh, it wasn't drugs, I'll tell you that, okay? But anyway, um, realized, you know what, this is crazy. So somewhere in there, I, then I really, you know, I really want to get serious about my faith. I was about 19, I think. Um, and you know what? That's pretty cool, really. I mean, I always kind of had an inferiority complex about my life because I would talk to these guys. Oh, I was, I was in Georgia's death row in Georgia prison. I was, I was this guy, and I was, you know, high on drugs every day, and I came to Christ. You know, and I was like, I had a horse and was raised on a farm and <laughs> came to Jesus, baby. You know, here we go. I mean, it was just like, you know, and one time one guy kind of grabbed me. He said, you really don't need to apologize about your story. You know, we all have different ones. 
So in my particular case, now if you were to say, when did you really commit your life to Christ? I don't know. I honestly don't know that. And there are people who can, who can say, I remember it. I remember the day and the time and the hour. You know, and, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's, here's, the, here's the issue. I believe when it comes to talk, maybe talk about being a person of faith in Christ, as I understand the Bible, usually there's a process involved and there's a time when you can look back up on where you say, this is, this is when I really decided to give, you know, just, I want, Lord, I want to accept your love. I want to accept your forgiveness. I want to do that now. And maybe you can figure that when that was. Maybe it wasn't. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that you do, that you do. And, and don't have an inferiority complex because you don't have some great story about that. You know, enjoy the other ones who do. <laughs> but thank God for your, your particular journey, wherever you are. And maybe you're still kind of on that journey. Maybe you're still kind of figuring it out. And I, I really haven't come to a place yet where I want to just say, Lord, I want to trust you. Maybe you haven't done that yet. Hey, this is a great place to kind of explore that. That's, that's where you need to be. So that's a story with, with the Apostle Paul here, just an amazing story. And then, and then by the way, I'll have one more verse on this, or two more verses. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed. I love the way he says this. This is so, don't, don't, don't miss this. Prove they have changed by the good things they do. Their, their actions were the result of what happened inwardly. It, it's not the means by which change comes. That's a huge issue. That's what I was talking about a moment ago. So many times we get that mixed up. Well, why are you, a, are you a Christian? Oh, I'm a believer. Yeah, why? Well, I do good stuff. No, I, I do good stuff because Christ works in my life. It's, it's the consequence. It's not the means of getting there. And that's a huge difference. I'm not just, I'm not just uh, being picky. That's a huge difference. So that's the story. That's the story of the Apostle Paul, the supernatural foundation thing that worked in his life. Amazing. Amazing. But you know what? It's not any more amazing than than yours because when you start talking about bigotry and hatred and maliciousness, hard feelings, and God can come into your life and start changing those things, that's that's pretty amazing stuff. That's transforming stuff. That's, that's supernatural foundational values right there in which we all need in our lives. I want to take a couple of minutes and read this to you, and you're going to see it. It's another it's interesting. I'm quoting two Canadian women missionaries today. Isn't that kind of, it should have not last Sunday, Mother's Day. But anyway, it didn't fit. So this is, uh, this is some good stuff, though. This is really, her name's Olive Winan, and she's just amazing. Um, and, um, wow, lived in the early 1900s. Watch this. this, this listen, before I read this, I'm going to introduce you to a term here. It's not my term. It's called stunted souls. Sometimes people can get stunted in their growth spiritually. And, and I, want, I want you to stop and think about this as we, as we just go through this because it can happen. I've seen it happen. I've experienced it a few times in my own life. And uh, it's one of those things that we have to really stop and get engaged and really think about. Am I stunted in my growth, in my 
faith journey, wherever I am on that, in terms of my relationship with Christ? Am I stunted with that? Watch what she says here. This is, this is good. If we, could, if we could see beneath the surface of many a life, we would see that thousands of people within the church are suffering spiritually from arrested development. They never reach spiritual maturity. They never do all the good they were intended to do. And this is due to the fact that at some point in their lives, they refuse to go further. Hmm. Some act of self-sacrifice was required of them, and they, they felt like, and, and they felt they could not and would not make it. Some habit had to be given up. Some personal relation altered or renounced, and they would not change their ways. They refused to take the one step which would have opened for them a new and vital development. They are stunted souls. Now let me ask you, just as you think about that for just a couple of minutes, that, that happened, to, maybe, maybe you're in one of those stunted periods right now. What do you do about that? You know, you know and, and, and there are many different answers to that. But the point is here, and this is something that, you know, certainly there's many ways you can think about this. There's some things you can do about this. There's some people you can talk to about with that. But here's the issue. So many times we come to church, we come to church, and, and hopefully it's good, and hopefully we're engaged, and hopefully it's, it's, you know, fun and relational, and it's a great time and all that. But listen, where are you in your own personal walk, in, in terms of your own personal development between you and God? And then this is making the assumption that you're a follower of Christ, and maybe you're still, still thinking about that. That's fine. That's fine. Think about it some more. As I said, it's a great place to do that. But if you, if you, if you know you're there, I mean, what are you doing? To, is there any kind of comparison to what you do for yourself physically, uh, some of us, as to what you might do for yourself spiritually? I mean, we, we help. We try to help as a church. We have some stuff, some Thursday groups that we try and try to help with some of that. Um, we always try and talking about some other things. We've we got some other things we're going to be starting in the fall as well. Um, we can help with that, but I'm going to tell you something. If you have church 24-7, that's still not going to do it because so much of this has to be here. And you're thinking, and, you're, and, and you know, one of the things you can do is think, and, and, and one of the things you can do is hang around people who are maybe a little further along than you are. I, always, I put it a different way. It's not really the best way to say it. I always say, hang around people who are smarter than you. I, I don't really mean smarter like IQ, but people who may be a little further along in that particular area than you are. So you, it's kind of like sports, you know. I always like playing golf with somebody a little better than me because, well, that's not true. It doesn't hold up there. I like beating people. Um, but, but those who are really good, like playing with, with people who are a little, whatever the sport is, a little better because it kind of improves their game a little bit. Just take that lesson spiritually as well. You say, are there people better than me? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. People who are further along, possibly. And maybe it's in a particular area of life. But the issue is here, don't, don't, get, you know, don't get stale. You know? don't, get, don't have a stunted soul because that's, that's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt your relationship with Christ as well. And that's the issue. We start talking about this whole relational thing and this whole, this, all the different other areas of these, of these values that we have here. Um, this first one, this whole thing of this, this supernatural foundation, it begins with faith, which always has an element of supernatural to it. You know, that God thing, asking God to work in my life. Maybe just to, maybe to just go a little further, a little deeper, a little, little, little more depth in my life. How are you going to keep that? You know, that's, that's the issue. You know, one of the things you need to pray about. It. Just ask God to help you. 
ask God to help you think through that. And I would just, I want to close with this. It's just, I want to go back over that last quote that I said, that I gave you. Just some act of self-sacrifice was required of them and they felt they could not and would not make it. Some habit had to be given up. Some personal relation, some people I don't need to be hanging around with maybe, uh, altered or renounced and they would not change their ways. They refused to take that one step which would have opened up for them new and vital development. Don't get stale. Don't stay average. Keep seeking. Keep thinking. And keep praying. God, in that supernatural way, will work and will honor that every time. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful that you want to come into our lives that you want to offer us forgiveness and that Jesus came to give us that forgiveness and that life. We thank you for that. We thank you for the love that comes uh, in our lives because of that as well. Especially pray for your... um, Keep us motivated, Lord. Keep us thinking. Keep us on our toes, so to speak, as we seek to be the people that you want us to be. I pray that for each one of us. I thank you for the love and the grace that you have given all of us and make available to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.